Welcome to the Hyper Guy Motivational Podcast. Thank you for being here with me today. I have a wonderful guest here. She's got, actually, she actually matches my energy level, which kind of freaks me out a little bit. Um, but her name is Fitz Kohler. I appreciate you. I, and she she has an amazing website called Fit Fitness. And I guess you can go over how they can contact you um, at the end, Fitz. But I really appreciate you for being here. She has her BA in political science from the University of Florida. She has her master's in science in exercise and sports sciences. She's a fitness professional, a avid runner, and she's, she can talk about that later. She's going to talk about, she's just battled cancer and overcame it, which we're going to talk about that journey because she has published some amazing books that journal and chronicle how to deal with that and get through those kind of experiences um, in Amazon. And she's going to talk about that as well. She's a media and and Instagram and social media uh, personality. Is there anything else that I'm missing? Because you have so much, it's, it's difficult for me. I'll spend an hour talking about all the things you've done. You know, uh, yeah, I mean, I do a lot, right? Uh, I would say besides the books and the online presence, I spend the mo majority of my time as a professional race announcer, hosting massive running events. And then I do tons of keynote presentations for corporations and associations and people who want their crew to do better and be better. And so I guess I always start off this way because I want people to have kind of a, um, a, a an idea of what made you the person you are today because you have so much great energy and in anything I've ever seen you involved with, I don't think I've ever not seen a smiling face. Fit. So I don't know how you became this way. So I want to start by saying, where were you born and raised? Uh, born and raised in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And it's funny because I'm the happy child. My mom calls me the happy child. She had... She had a few kids and I'm the one where she says, oh, you know, so happy. But I was apparently conceived at Disney World. <laughs> I, my mom waited until I was a grown up to tell me that. So uh, I'm naturally sunny. I have a sunny disposition, but I also have practiced the skill of perspective. I have I have chosen to choose joy over grief and drama. And that's a choice we can all make. So whether you've you've been born with with a smile on your face or not, you can choose joy. And then what was your childhood like growing up? Do you have any brothers and sisters? Yeah, I do. My older brother, John, is nine years older than me. And my sister, Kathy, is six years older. And it was, I don't know. I mean, my parents are both New Yorkers. And my mother decided uh, the cold weather was not for her. So much like it feels like everybody on planet Earth, she escaped to Florida. Thank goodness she did. And we were raised, you know, scrappy, I would say middle class. We weren't taking trips to Europe. We didn't have the fanciest cars, but we had cars and we had a safe home and we had whatever we needed. And we were uh, definitely into sports. My, my siblings were elite. They were really great at sports and I wasn't. I played sports. It, I, I didn't really have great personal success in athletics until I became a grown up, until I was about 20 or so and I started kickboxing. But yeah, two parents and two siblings and all the love and all the the fighting and the good times and the bad, like everybody else. I, well, I'm very fortunate. I'm very fortunate for what I did have. Not everybody does have two parents in a home or a, or a loving family. And, and what was it like in terms of role models when you were growing up? Did you have an idea what you wanted to do when you were growing up? Uh, you know what? I I wanted to... 
connect with people. That seemed to be the overriding, overriding thread. I mean, I thought at, when I was younger, I'm going to be a singer. Well, apparently you need a nice voice to do that. So nope, I had checked that off the list. But I, I started working as a birthday clown when I was 12 at the, at the skating rink. And pretty much that's kind of what I do today. I mean, I led the hokey pokey, <laughs> some other things, and I'm still on stages leading people. I don't, I don't, teach classes at a gym or anything, but my, my, when I was teaching classes at the gym, it probably didn't look too different than what I was doing in that clown outfit at the skating rink. And yeah, I just wanted to connect with people. I was very young when I started teaching fitness. I was just under 15 when I got a job at the gym and I started teaching classes right away and I fell in love with that. And basically I've done nothing else professionally since I was 14, 15 years old. So when you when you graduated high school, did you go directly? Did you? I know you're a poli sci major. What made you choose poli sci? And did you know ultimately that you were going to get your master's after? Yeah. So I did not know I was going to get my master's. It's funny. I was teaching fitness. I had such great success in fitness. Even during college, I I taught all over the world. I taught in Russia and Norway and Sweden and England and Denmark. And I um, I had a TV show, Cardio Jam. So I was doing this thing, but in my mind, you couldn't make a career out of fitness because I was, I didn't want to be the gym person. I knew that if I wanted to own a home and own cars and take my kids on vacation one day, working in a gym wasn't the path for that. So I was looking for other things, but the most important thing in my life is freedom. I'm a raging fan of freedom. I'm a, I'm just the most diehard American you'll ever come across. I love our country. I considered serving in the military when I was in high school. I thought I'll join the Marine Corps that like most patriotic folks do. Right. And then I thought, ah, you're too cowardly to stand in front of big guns. So maybe that's not right for you. So I thought I would run for office. And really up until recently, I had my eyes on the prize was to run for the governor of Florida. And I thought, you know, once I was my business was built and I had things running. I, I do that. Sadly, I think uh, politics are just too ugly for me. I'm not cut out for that. I, I love people too much. I don't enjoy the hate. And um, I do. And, and I have this intense passion for helping people. And I thought public service, that would be a great way to do it. But really, I find I have so much power within the private sector to help people. I actually help people every day near and far live better and live longer and so i'm i'm disappointed that uh, running for office will not likely be in my future but that's where the poli sci came in i just thought here i go i'm going to make i'm going to spend my life dedicated to my country and freedom it's amazing so i i have to go back to this now cuz now i'm interested in this so how did you so you actually had a thriving fitness business in college and you got to travel around the world. How did that happen? Uh, I reached out. I took chances, right? So I, my, my, most of my European work came, I, I worked on a cruise ship. I worked on a, on the nicest cruise ship in the world, the Crystal Harmony. It was a five-star cruise liner. And wow. I just had a family friend who taught fitness on a ship. She was in like the Bahamas or something like that. But I thought, well, that would be interesting. And what I found is there was two different uh, concessions, they call them, that manage the gyms and spas on every cruise ship in the world. It was half and half, Kofiers and Steiners. And I thought, okay, so I applied to both. I sent in 
a video of me teaching fitness at the University of Florida gym. They both hired me. The first ship I was offered was the Carnival Fantasy out of Cape Canaveral, Florida, going to and from the Bahama, three and four day cruises. And I thought, cool, I got a job. Great, I'll take it. And then the other company called and said, hey, we'd like to hire you. I said, ah, I just accepted a job on this Carnival ship. And they said, wait, we can put you on Canard Line, week-long cru cruises um, in and out of the Eastern and Western Caribbean out of Fort Lauderdale, which is where I lived. And I thought, that would be great. And again, it was just a summer job for me. And then the original company, I called back and I said, hey, thank you so much for the offer, but I'm going to take this other opportunity. And they said, stop the presses. Let us call you back. And they did. And so I get a phone call from the lady in charge of whatever company I was working for. And she said, hey, uh, have you ever been to Russia? And I said, nope. She goes, what about Norway? And I said, nope. She said, Fitz, I have the nicest ship on planet Earth. It's the Crystal Harmony, a five-star cruise liner. If you can get your passport, we can get you on that ship on Saturday. And again, we were, I had never gone to Europe. I, I really didn't even think about going that way because we just weren't of the income bracket to take those trips. We did Disney and Bush Gardens. That was our vacation. So uh, I went down to Miami and I got me a passport <laughs> the next day and I was able to, you know, see things I had never fathomed. Although this is another little point about my trip to Russia and Estonia and Norway, Sweden, Denmark, France, et cetera. My favorite thing out of that entire two and a half month trip was when I passed by the Statue of Liberty on the way out of New York Harbor to cross the Atlantic. So, um, yeah. And then, the, and then the, the television show, when I got back off the ship, when I got back to school in Gainesville, there happened to be a TV producer that was casting for fitness professionals. And I had auditioned and it, it worked out. And that was really a turning point for me. I, I learned two things. Number one, that my skills were transferable. So I, beyond just teaching it to a live audience, I could teach to a screen. And then I had this great aha moment when strangers started approaching and saying, oh my God, I love you. I work out with you all the time and I've lost 17 pounds or my back no longer hurts. And it was, it was so impactful to me to think, oh my gosh, I helped strangers. I never, like, how would I meet that lady? But I worked, I helped her lose weight and that I just fell in love with mass media. So it was at that point where I turned all of my attention to pursuing TV, radio, books, writing for magazines and, and speaking was always on my agenda, but even more so now I do close to zero that's within a small group. It's, it's all mass impact type work I do. And you did all this while you were in college, undergrad. I, I got started when I was in college. Yeah, yeah, Amazing. I did. A, I did a decent amount and uh, I would have done twice as much given the opportunity. So how did you how did you transition from that? Were you doing your master's at the same time? And how did you manage those two things? Yeah, so it. I mean, it's all been it's all evolved very naturally for me. I say naturally, it's because I pushed the envelope. I'm go, 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 forcing, forcing the issue. But when I was in college, uh, when I was getting my master's, I taught some classes and I had a personal training business, which really paid my bills. I created an instructor training program. I found that the national certification organizations were completely inadequate preparing people to teach a fitness class. So I created that business on my own. I started reaching out to networks and saying, Hey, I've got this idea to talk about fitness. Would you like to have me on your show? And they, they would say yes. And so I started making a great, more and more appearance. Uh, I don't sound like a professional speaker right now. 
uh, I started doing more and more appearances. And then when I was speaking to small groups in college, that started escalating and the corporation started inviting me. I think my first two companies I, I spoke for that paid me were Everlast, the boxing gear and sports authority. And since then, man, I've, I've taken the stage for Disney, Oakley, Tropicana, Office Depot, Mayo Clinic, New York Life, you name it. I, I love I, I love the fact that these brands trust me to impact their employees or their consumers. I Representing some of these ginormous brands is very meaningful. So what do they ask you to specifically? I know that you had a, a focus on fitness. Now, and I know you've kind of over time, you've transformed your career. You you do a lot of motivational stuff. Correct. So would they ask you to do like a combination of both or is it specifically geared toward like specific topics that they have you speak about? Yeah. So you know what? I have a couple of go-to keynotes, but I would say almost every one of my keynote presentations are customized to the audience. So they say, um, we want to talk, like someone asked me to talk about community uh, this year. And I thought, huh, let me think about that. And then I thought, yeah, that was totally within my wheelhouse. And I'm a member of so many great communities and these and these endurance communities, for example, which aren't just the, the fast athletes. There are uh, athletes I work with with special needs. There are so many people overcoming and so, so many things and supporting each other through it. So, yeah, I mean, I've spoken on everything from uh communities to health during hardship. That's a real popular one for me right now. And, you know, people, when something hits the fan, whether it's divorce or your house burns down or your, your grandpa gets sick, people just let go of their most important habits, which are their eating and exercise habits. And so encouraging people to not only understand why it's a priority, but giving them the tools to, to pursue health and fitness, even during tough times. And if you can do that, Oh, you will be a successful person, no doubt. Uh, I talk to realtors quite often on first impressions, lasting impressions. That's a very vanity-oriented profession. They're always got their photo on everything, the park bench and the billboard. And uh, they they really need to be at their best at all times. And so, yeah, I, I, I would say that everything I do has a thread of health and fitness go through that, go through my presentations, but I certainly branch out to other areas. How did you, and, and what advice would you give people to develop such a positive mindset? Um, and we're going to talk about some of the stuff that some of the health challenges you had, but did, did your early career in fitness, did it impact how you dealt with your physical challenges and, and how you present um, in organizations, how to, how to overcome those challenges? Absolutely. I would say the greatest experiences I have have been my failures, my hardships. You know, every time I tried out for a team in high school and got cut, my mom would say, you're building character. And I would say, I have enough character. I don't want any more. Uh, but it was those failures. It was all those times people told me no, that prepared me for the greatest challenge of my life, right? Resiliency and convincing myself that it was okay. I didn't get what I wanted, but I'm still okay. Life is still good. Perspective is a choice and perspective, I would say, is my right-hand man. So of course I do have the sunny disposition, but before I was diagnosed with cancer, I used to say all the time, it's not cancer. You know, you're, you get a fender bender. Okay. Nobody's hurt. It's not cancer. You ruin the carpet. It's not cancer. So 
right? Then it's easy to get past little things instead of harp on them. So many people, they focus on, I was in traffic today. And then they come into work and they want to tell everybody about their traffic and they want to drag everybody down and they, they focus, focus, focus on the horrible things in life. And that probably aren't really that horrible. Instead of saying, wow, how fortunate am I? I have this great car and I have a job and oh, it's frustrating to be late, but I have these good things and I'll make it work. Life is great. Someone's house is burning down right now. Things could be worse. And so, yeah, I would say all of those hardships, learning to lose and recover, and then making decisions to be happy even when things go wrong. Those, are, those have been my greatest uh, tools for every day, every day, not just during cancer. So Fitz, let me ask you, if, if I were to, if I were to approach you and say, Hey, um, I'm having all these hard times. I don't, you're very positive. I've watched some of your videos and yeah. what concrete steps could I take every day that would change my mindset? I'm just not as happy. You're just so up. Like how, how, how can I get, I know I'm never going to be like you, but how do, how do I get some, how do I build those skills? I guess. Right. So first of all, how annoying would it be if everybody was like me? <laughs> right? I can only have like one of me per per square mile. Uh, but it's a practice skill. It's a choice. You, everybody has the capacity to make these choices. And how do you be more like me? Don't be more like me. Be more like you. And I would I would say start by controlling what you can. So sometimes things in your life are spinning out of control. It's not everything. Can you, can you take time away for yourself? Can you take 10 minutes to sit in your back porch and be alone with your thoughts? Can you do that? Can you exercise today? Can you push your physical health forward? We, we know factually, I mean, there's endless amount of evidence that shows that if you exercise, you will diminish stress, you will release all sorts of toxic feelings, you will turn on your brain, you will come up with better ideas, you will stand up straighter, you will likely be nicer you know, you can improve so many things in your life if you just take care of you. So maybe you can, can't, can't control those people, the grouchy people. Maybe you can't control the uh, hurricane that's hitting the other side of your state, but you can control you. You can choose healthy food. You can choose exercise. You can choose quality sleep. You can choose to avoid the cranky people. I mean, there's all these people desperately trying to infringe on our happiness and we let them stop, stop. Even if they're blood relative, you got to say ah, enough. You're going to get on your phone. You're saying mute. You're going to say block. I don't need it anymore. You're not going to be disrespectful to me. You're not going to berate me or, or make my life miserable. So control those things and don't feel like you're not in control. It's interesting. People say, well, oh, I can't eat right because COVID or I can't eat right because I lost my job. Well, nobody comes over to your house, opens up your jaw and shoves bad food in there. That's you. Every bite you take is yours. If you get in the mirror, strip naked and look in the mirror, know that every single thing you're looking at is your fault or your responsibility or your success, right? So beyond your height, which your parents gave you, you are responsible for what's going on here, whether it feels good, feels bad, looks good, looks bad. That's all up to you. I just think Control what you can. Know who you can't control, and the things that you can control uh, force the issue. I guess that goes to the other question of if you were to give someone advice that I'm, I, you know, I'm not really into fitness. I don't have time. 
how does a person start if they want to uh, start exercising? What do you recommend for people when they first want to get into exercising and how to stay motivated? Right. So if you don't have time for sick for fitness, you will have time for sickness. Your body will deteriorate. And really where you'll be exercising at that point is in a rehab center, right? You'll be exercising in the hospital, getting up after your heart catheterization or your hip repair or whatever it is. So uh, taking care of yourself is going to become a necessity if you don't make it a priority now. And there's a whole bunch of more fun ways to move your body versus rehabilitation in a hospital or an assisted living facility. So you don't have to be perfect. You certainly don't need to be what you were in high school. It's interesting to me. I'll deal with a 50-something-year-old person, and, I'll, and, I'll, and we'll talk about fitness, and they'll say, well, in high school, I used to run this, right? <laughs> I don't care what you did in high school. You're a grown-up. What are you doing now? And you don't have to be anything you're not. You just should make efforts to be 1% better every day. Right. So what can you do today to improve on yourself from this morning? Can you do push-ups against the wall? Can you do some lunges? Can you walk your dog an extra block? Can you dance in the living room with your kids? So physically, that's what you should be focusing on. And then nutrition, uh, I would say your weight is a direct reflection of what you put in your mouth. So you cannot exercise off bad eating habits. So if you want to lose weight, start focusing on the things you put in your mouth and you don't have to be perfect and you don't have to be a vegetarian and you certainly should not diet and you definitely should not go buy pills or powders or any of these hokey snake oil supplements. These are people just stealing your money saying, giving it to me and you're like, here, have it. Give me a weight loss pill. Unless it's one of these doctor prescribed things which have their own uh, downsides for real. You should not be buying anything at the quote unquote nutrition store. But yeah, just start doing better. Choose an apple over chips. Choose water over soda on occasion and, and then do it more frequently and, and you'll get eventually get where you want to be. Now, I know you're a very accomplished runner. What if someone says, hey, you know what? I've never been a runner. Yeah. What's a good way for me to start? I would like to, I know I'm not going to run marathons like you or, or, you know, or what would you suggest somebody do if they wanted to start running? Well, the same way I would I would uh, encourage somebody to learn a language. So let's say you're going to learn how to speak Chinese. You're probably not going to be able to read, read a book in Chinese out loud in front of an audience, right? You're probably going to learn one word at a time and then repeat it, repeat it, practice, practice, practice. And then you're going to learn how to say a sentence, right? And the same thing goes for exercise. You can just, you know, people say, I can't run. And I think, oh, okay, well, if a bear were chasing you, could you run? Most people probably could. So uh, if you'd like running to be a part of your exercise routine, great. If you don't, fine. You don't have to run. You can ride a bike. You can dance. You can do karate. You can get on the elliptical rider at the gym. It doesn't matter to me. Um, ideally, people will exercise in four specific ways. They will do cardiovascular exercise that makes them huff and puff. Again, whatever, swimming, uh, jumping rope, whatever floats your boat works for me. Two is strength training. Make sure your body is capable of pushing, pulling, pressing, and lifting against resistance. Doesn't I don't care how you do it. You could do body weight exercises. You could lift dumbbells. You could use a machine. You can do bands. It doesn't matter. Strength train your entire body. That will make you resilient. That will make your body firm. That will improve your posture, increase your confidence, improve your bone density. Strength training is essential. 
not just your biceps, your whole body. It also makes you resistant to injury, less likely to have those sprains, strains, and tears. And on that note, sprains, strains, and tears, you're also going to reduce your likelihood of having those issues if you stretch. And everybody can stretch. It doesn't have to be a big deal. You don't have to take a yoga class. You just get a little bendy, your whole body. When I let my dogs out, every time I left my let my dogs out the back door, I take a few moments, get on the ground and stretch, or I stand in a doorway and stretch. So I have stretching time built into my day based on the fact that my dogs are going to have to use the potty. And then the last area of fitness is balanced training. And that's really important so you don't fall down because while we fell down a whole bunch of little kids and we got back up, it's a lot harder to do as a grown-up. So you can do something as simple as standing on one foot while brushing your teeth, alternate feet, uh, maybe standing on your couch cushions, trying to stay upright and still. Simple tactics. So exercise doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated. It should be challenging and fun to you. What if someone says, and I know you hear this all the time, you know, I really appreciate it. You have so much energy. I just don't have the time to exercise. Yeah, well, uh, that's a lie. That's a lie. And I can tell you that there's been a good percentage of our American presidents, the most powerful men on planet Earth, who have taken time out of most of their days during their presidency to exercise. Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, they exercise and they were president of the United States. And are you? president? I don't think you are. And you might be a single parent and you might work 78 hours a week. That's fine. You can exercise with your kids. If you bring your kids to go participate in their sport or club, you can do laps, laps in the parking lot. You can jump rope in the parking lot. There are tons of things you can do. And in fact, if you're a parent and you use your kids as an excuse for your lack of fitness, shame on you. There's there's very few things more disgusting because you brought those kids into the world. It's your responsibility to stick around, not only to raise them into adulthood, but support them and cheer for them and love them through adulthood. If you're not taking care of yourself, they're not going to take care of themselves. And God forbid your child dies before you do because they learn terrible habits. Your kid drops dead of a heart attack at 30 and you're a miserable 60-year-old because you didn't train your child to exercise and pursue quality nutrition. It's really important stuff here. And I, you know, I get very pointed because I love you guys. You know, I'm all tell you the truth because it's important. It's necessary. Your health, man, nothing, nothing brings into focus how important your health is. When someone looks you in the eye and says, I'm so sorry, you have cancer or you've got heart disease or diabetes, or whatever, or ALS, you know what? Those poor folks with ALS, where they know at some point they will be completely motionless. They will be alive in their brain, and they will be completely motionless. And all those people want in the world is to move their body. So don't be disrespectful to your ability. You got to get up and go. You got to do something. You got to work on it. What about uh, how many how many minutes per day minimally do you recommend people exercise? Ideally, I would say 30. 30 is a great start, but it doesn't have to be 30 continuous minutes. It could be two minutes here, two minutes there. And some people will say, well, Fitz, there's no way two minutes of exercise could benefit me. Okay, try two minutes of burpees. <laughs> right? Like, it's like, what? Yeah, two minutes of burpee miserable or you know exhausting or however you want to describe it so you can 
walk your dog for 10 minutes in the morning. You can get to the office and do some squats in the uh, storage closet where you, you know, you can just squeeze it in here or there. Ideally, 30 to 60 minutes continuously would be fantastic. And if you can make that happen, please do. It doesn't have to be 60 minutes on the treadmill. You could do 30 minutes of dancing and then a little bit of strength training and, and balance training and, and stretching. It's up to you. But I'd say 30 is the, the minimum of activity because if you're not deliberately exercising, usually you're sedentary. You're sitting down for work. You're sitting down to eat. You're sitting down to drive. You're lying down to sleep. You're sitting to watch TV. So our bodies were designed to be in motion. And it's inc- I encourage you to do at least 30 minutes per day in, in deliberate motion. What do you say to somebody if they say, you know what, I don't have the money. You know what, I understand what you're saying. I, I don't have the money to go to a gym. And I, you know, and I know I see people on TV, they have money, they buy, they're able to buy, go, go to Whole Foods or some really high end store and buy all these wonderful, you know, healthy meals. I just don't have the money for a gym or to buy healthy food. What's your response to that? Right. So the sidewalk is free. I've traveled the world and every single place I've been, they have a free sidewalk. Most everywhere in the world has a grassy field. Our living room floor is free. My favorite exercises are the ones that are free because there's no excuses involved, right? So can you walk in place? Can you walk around the block? Yes, yes, yes. Can you jump up and down? Can you stretch and touch your toes for free? You can. Can you do push-ups and lunges and crunches and squats for free? You sure can. So there is an endless amount of exercises you can do at zero cost or a very limited cost. There's these little stretchy rubber bands are, to me, equivalent to a big, beautiful gym. If you get a $5 pack of stretchy resistance bands, boy, you can you can accomplish so much. And if you need guidance on that at fitness.com, I have tons of free videos on how to exercise for free. But also, food doesn't have to be, or healthy food doesn't have to be wildly expensive. So you know, when we're talking about produce, sometimes it actually does get expensive. So what you do is ignore those foods during the expensive times and buy foods that are uh, fruits and vegetables that are in season. Now, we have times here that I am, I'm going to buy watermelon every three days over the summer. I am never going to pay for a watermelon in January. It's just, I'm not doing it. I'm not spending 20 bucks on a watermelon. So you buy the fruits and veggies that are in season. You buy them on sale. You go to the farmer farmer's market, local food uh, costs less because there's not as much money spent on gas and transportation. So there's a, a, a great way to get fresh produce. However, you can go to your frozen food section and get awesome prices on frozen vegetables, frozen fruits. And some people think it's not as nutritious. In fact, they're usually more nutritious than the fresh foods because they haven't lost any nutrition with the time and transportation. Quite often, if you're buying broccoli that's frozen, it's flash frozen on the spot and it maintains its nutritious qualities as it travels across the world, across the country to get to that freezer and then it holds on to the nutrition. And you are definitely gonna find BOGOs, buy one, get one deals in that frozen food section. So um, canned goods are great too. Just try and find your produce with limited preservatives, right? So it's going to have a little bit just to keep that corn in the can good for quite a few months. But you can you can get a lot of high nutrition 
for really good pricing. You know what? A bag of chips is four to seven bucks now. That's not cheap. It's, you know, make the investment in quality food. Just just be creative and uh, water. Water's free, man. Or it's pretty close to it. No, I love what you just said that because I, I think a lot of times I hear that from people. But then I see, you know, when they go to the store, you look in their cupboard. It's it's all junk food and it's more expensive than than quality food they could have bought for their health. And you just say you say you have no money for it, but then you got these high end, you know, Cheetos that that yes. that bag costs seven bucks and you yeah. could have got something else that was, you know, you could have got some apples and some peanut butter and a bunch of other different alternatives. So I really love that. Well, I get I guess this brings me to the question of. You have so much energy and you're so positive. When you were first diagnosed with cancer, how, how obviously when you, I, I think all of us take it a different way when we're, when we're, they give us some, um, some information that's going to be difficult for us to, to handle. How did you handle that? And what was that process like for you? Um, well, at first I, I grieved, I cried, I cried and cried. I was, I never experienced that much, much stress in my entire life. I was very human about it. It was terrifying. And, you know, was I afraid to be sick and die? I was, but I was so upset about the potential of losing out of my kids' lives. You know, the thought of not seeing Ginger and Parker when they're 20 or 30 or whatever. I just really, it was, it was agony. So that was hard. And eventually my oncologist, once I met with him, which really didn't take too long for me to do that, uh, he told me he had a cure for me. He said, Fitz, you know, most cases of breast cancer are curable. 90 something percent of all breast cancer cases are curable. Yours is specifically curable. So you're going to have to endure the cure, but uh, there is a light at the end of the tunnel for you. And so I believed him. And then I made some other really good decisions. So I decided, number one, to use perspective. And I never, never once had a why me moment. Was I sad and stressed? Yes. But I never thought, why me? And why not? Because there are so many babies and children in the pediatric oncology unit down the street from my house. And they did nothing. They did absolutely nothing to deserve, to deserve their brain cancer or leukemia or whatever they've got. So I decided that I was so fortunate to be a grown up with cancer. And I wasn't a kid with cancer. It wasn't my kid with cancer. Because of that, I was going to try to keep a smile on my face and do the best I could, be grateful. Um, I also chose to pursue my passions. And, you know, I knew cancer was going to take a lot of things. It was going to steal a lot from me. It stole my hair, all of it. It stole a lot of my good feelings. I was violently ill for 15 months. I had uh, 21 rounds of chemo, which is a very long time. And I had 33 rounds of radiation and some surgeries. And it was brutal. I was, I was so sick. I mean, just my, my fingernails ripped off. My eyes changed colors. Like everything went wrong with me. However, I decided before any of that happened that I was not going to let cancer steal time with my kids. So if they had a special show or ceremony or sporting event, I was going to be there. I was not going to let cancer steal that. I also decided I wasn't going to let it steal my career. I've worked too hard and I've earned my rightful spot on those stages that I'm invited to command. And I just decided I wasn't giving it up. You know, if the Big Sur International Marathon was taking place and I wasn't there, I knew that I would just stay at home crying all weekend. And that would be awful for me. That would be worse. And so where 
so many people said, you should stay home and hide out and wear a mask and duck for cover. I said, baloney, if I'm going to fight for my life, I'm going to have a life worth fighting for. And one where I'm hiding out at home and <laughs> it's just not, that's not worth it to me. So I went out, I took about 30 planes out of my hometown of Gainesville, Florida during my 15 months of cancer care. And the travel was very difficult, but the light at the end of the tunnel each time was the fact that whenever I, whenever I stepped on my stages, even if I had slept on the hotel bathroom floor the night before, uh, when I stepped on those stages, every single thing that was wrong with me disappeared. I wasn't sick. I wasn't tired. I wasn't suffering. I was back to being full force Fitz Kohler. I was focused on these extraordinary events and these incredible people filled with joy and they were pelting me with their joy. And it was magical. And so, you know, I made these good decisions that I could have easily not made. I could have just been on social media every day saying, what was me? I have cancer. Look how sad this is. Look how much this hurts and everything hurt and everything was sad. And I just decided that's not the life I want to live. And I will endure those parts, but I'm going to endure them so I can get to the good stuff. And uh, that's, that's really how my books were born is I made good decisions. They worked miraculously. And I thought I could help other people make great decisions. Yeah. Tell me about what inspired you to have that energy to write, write about your experiences. And tell me, can you tell me a little bit about the books that you've written? You've had, you have a lot of them actually. And um, cancer comeback theory, uh, your healthy cancer comeback, um, sick to strong. I, can you tell me, um, and I know there's more titles and I'm going to have a guest okay, to give okay. those later for sure. But what was the process in writing those? And was it therapeutic for you? Was it difficult for you to write about it? Um, you know, what's interesting is I've, I've written thousands of articles and a previous book before the Cancer Comeback series. And I only write when I have something to say, you know, and it feels when I have something to say, when I'm on a soapbox, it feels good to get it out. So, uh, the first one I wrote was my noisy cancer comeback. This one's the memoir. And this is my experience with cancer from finding that lump to the end of my treatment and all the chaos and hardship and drama and excitement and funny, crazy, wacky things that happen along the way. I just thought this, this stuff was too good for me not to share. And plus with cancer, it's interesting. People talk about bald heads and sickness and fatigue and all of that was true but nobody talks about the strange things. My eyes changed colors. Nobody warned me about that. I mean, I just literally was in a hotel room in California about to announce a race. I wake up, I jump in the shower. I, you know, it's like washing a plastic bowl. It's quick and you dry it off and I'm boom, I'm, I'm ready. And I, I take that look, that first look in the mirror and I think, holy hell. So my eyes used to be pale, pale gray. The kind of eyes where people would say, Are your eyes really gray? And they were. And then that morning I looked in the mirror and they were navy blue. They were navy blue saucers. And I thought, what the heck is going on? And my first instinct was, do I call 911? And I thought about it and I thought, okay, well, if I call 911 and say, help, my eyes have changed colors. They're just going to send paddy wagon with a straight, straight jacket, right? The, uh, the psychiatric team. So I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense. And then I thought, well, uh, I've got 5,000 people waiting for me this morning, so I need to just get up and go and I can see. So maybe I'm just imagining this. And uh, when my announcing partner for the weekend, he comes, knocks on the, my hotel door to get me, he opens the door and he instantly says, what the hell happened to your eyes? And I said, I know, 
So anyways, it's a bunch of wacky stuff in my noisy cancer comeback. And then the other two books, this one being the most important, the other two books are Your Healthy Cancer Comeback, Sick to Strong, and The Healthy Cancer Comeback Journal. And Sick to Strong was created because about halfway through my treatment, I had lost a ton of weight and I had just had surgery. I mean, things were, and I was in bad shape. And it was about the same time where my mother looked at me one day and she said, you need to eat. You look like you're in the Holocaust. And I said, uh, thanks, mom. <laughs> thanks, mom. I'm doing my best. And uh, that, that, that felt bad. But anyways, I went to the gym. It was soon after my surgery. I had been le- released to start lifting weights again. And I sat on the machine and I poked the pin in where it was supposed to be. And I pushed and nothing happened. So I lowered the pin and I pushed again and nothing happened. And what I found is that I lost 80% of my strength. 80%. I was, I was a little skeleton. I was this little ball, little skeleton. It was weak. And I thought, you know, at this moment, this is where most people would burst into tears, get in their car and go home and give up. But lucky me, I'm a fitness expert. I never had a doubt that I would rebuild this body and get it back to healthy and vibrant. I had a, I had a customized game plan in my head instantly. Baby steps taking me from point A to point B. And a, a little over a year after finishing treatment, I ran the Boston Marathon. Yay for me. However, at that very same time where I was having this, okay, I can do this, I was suffering. I mean, I just agonizing for my peers, the millions and millions of cancer patients and survivors around the world who are beat up, knocked down, dragged through the mud by cancer and his treatment. And they have absolutely no idea how to get themselves back. And I looked on Amazon, there wasn't a book about it. Nobody had written the book. And so I thought, well, fitness expert with a year and a half worth of cancer experience, write the book. And so that's where your healthy cancer comeback came in. There's a full color journal that's filled with all sorts of fun prompts, factual prompts and prompts to help you go from sick to strong. But those books are, oh, they're, they're probably some of the most important work I've ever done. And it's a population that needs the help. They need the guidance. And I am so pleased because oncologists around the world are buying them in bulk to pass out to their patients upon diagnosis. So um, they're doing well and I'm very proud of them. That's just amazing. And you ran the Boston Marathon. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. How does this transformation uh, impact your kids? Yeah, that was really hard. It was really hard. So (laughs) I waited until I had an official diagnosis to tell them. I didn't let them know as I was going through the initial scans and so forth. I didn't want them to worry about nothing if it was nothing. Um, When I... When I did tell them, I separated them because my son's very quiet and my daughter's very big with her emotions. And so we told Parker, my son first, he was 13 and I gave him bad news, good news, bad news. I found a lump. I had some appointments. It looks like I have breast cancer. Good news is totally curable. And uh, I'm just going to look weird for a while, feel kind of bad, but I'm going to be okay. And he said, "Um, you're going to look so cute, bald. I said, oh, thanks. Right. So he was really sweet about it. He internalized it. Later, he told me he definitely thought I was dying, but he was there to support me. You know, it was very sweet. And then Ginger, I told her shortly after we got done telling Parker and she just wailed. She was 15 and we're so close and she just suffered greatly. However, 
kids are very resilient. And so it probably was in about a week or so where both kids were making fun of mom's bald head and, you know, they were involved in their activities and school. And, you know, maybe some friends had to drive them to and from school because I was sick or, you know, had so many drugs in my system for a while, but they were wonderful. Kids are very resilient. And if you keep them engaged in their life, um, I, I specifically did not take them to scary doctor's appointments. They never saw me get poked with a needle. They never saw any of those things that made me upset. So uh, they they were good. I'm very proud of them. They were, And they were very kind and sweet to me when I needed some kindness and sweetness. So when you built yourself back up, was it difficult for you to, did you start eating more? Did you start hitting the gym more? Was it hard for you, given that you were going through that those physical challenges, was it hard for you to press through those workouts? And how did you get the drive to do that? And I, part of the reason I'm saying that is that there's a lot of us out there that are, have physical challenges. And like you said, part of us are like, I don't have the energy or, you know what, should I give up? And I love the spirit that you have because you just fought through that. What do you... Um, recommend for people to to get through those hard times so first of all you gotta want it i wanted it so bad i didn't like being a little skeleton i did not like being weak you know some people might not like being overweight they might not like their pants being tight i wanted a fit body again and so i was willing to do the work and i was also willing to be patient and compassionate and so i i never treated myself like oh you're so bad you're you're less than you were. Shame on you. I thought, shoot, you have been through hell and uh, let's get you, let's get you back to normal. So I never had a setback because I never pushed too hard. I, I started out just walking in the pool, you know, for five minutes and then I would stretch in the pool. Then I'd get out, you know, eventually a few weeks later, I started swimming a couple laps and I baby stepped it all so hard. So I never had the chance of injuring myself or taking a step back. And I think that's how the general population needs to treat themselves is, you know, baby steps. You are where you are. You can't undo it, whether you are where you are because of cancer or heart disease or an injury, or you've just been lazy and you haven't been doing the right thing. Okay. Well, you are where you are. So baby steps for the win and consistency. So I just knew it would come. And uh, I actually, I struggled with nutrition for a long time because I, I was still doing chemo while I was trying to put back on weight. So um, food has become a, a tricky thing for me, but I, I listen to my body, my body, my stomach says no to certain things now. So I say, okay, I'm not going to have those things. I'll have more of these things that I can have. And, you know, I just, I just focus on health. That's, that's the main thing for me is I want to be strong. I want to be fit. I want to have stamina. I, I like the feeling of being fit. And, and I can tell you, I was 40 pounds heavier than I am when I was in college. And I didn't like that very much. I really, I, I didn't like my body. I thought about my hips all the time. I thought about my tummy all the time. It was a real burden. And then once I got my stuff together and I started eating healthfully and things turned around and I no longer think about my waistline. It's just, it is what it is. It's not a problem for me. So I encourage people to take those steps, no matter what you've been through to uh, get yourself in great shape and then you can free your mind space up to think about other things. Well, you're cancer free. Thank yes, God. I am. We, we talked about this. I get so excited because sometimes I meet my guests and I'm so like just taken aback by how amazing they are. And you're oh, just absolutely amazing story. 
And so you're cancer free now. What is, tell me what your typical like fitness day is and, and are you, are you running every day? And what, and, and you said that you're talking about your diet now. Um, what is a typical fits day? And so if I were to look at, cause I, I think you're amazing. So, oh, thank um, you. Thank but as much you. as I can learn from you, I want to do that. So, <laughs> and, and, and my guests. So, I mean, what are your, what are your recommendations in terms of like what you do and what we should be doing? Well, for me, I get a good night's sleep. I'm a seven to nine hours girl. I do my best to get in bed as early as possible and create a great sleep environment. Um, I get outdoors as much as I can. So even if it's just out in the trails with the dogs for 30 minutes, being outside is good for my mind. I love strength training and I yield to the strength training rules that say, you should take a 48 hour break between strength training sessions to give your muscles the opportunity to repair and rebuild. So I strength train aggressively every other day. I do my whole body and I work darn hard and I do cardio most days of the week, but it, I mix it up. I'm doing some ballroom dancing now. I've been invited for a Dancing with the Stars competition. I do some running. I do a lot of walking. I, I use the stair stepper. Sometimes I go to the University of Florida Stadium, the swamp to exercise in. So I think variety is the spice of life. And it's certainly a great way to keep all parts of your body healthy. And I do stretching every day and I do balance training every day. Those things are easy to squeeze in. Again, I, I do a lot of stretching while I let my dogs out. And then I'm a vegetarian. And so not everybody has to be a vegetarian, but it suits me and I'm a real animal lover. And that's that's really the number one factor that drives me to avoid meat. Um, but I eat tons of fruits, tons of veggie, veggies, lots of nuts, some beans, and I have some milk chocolate every single day. And if I don't, I consider it a bad day. Drink lots of water, lots of uh, decaffeinated hot tea. And then I do like decaffeinated Diet Coke too. So I, I never preach perfection. It's just about, you know, how do you put all the things together that feel good and make you better and, you know, provide you with some joy. So what are your, uh, your future goals and what are your current projects you're working on? <sighs> you know what? I have a calendar this year packed with races, wonderful races to announce, which I'm thrilled. I'm going to start working on another book soon, or actually I've started working on the fifth book, but uh, I haven't, I haven't spent too much time on it. Usually I, I write on airplanes. I'm, I'm forced to sit down and shut up. So airplanes is where I do a lot of writing, um, fill, working on filling my calendar up with more keynote presentations. That's, you know, even though I, I, I worship race announcing, it's so wonderful what I am is a teacher. So when I do the keynote presentations, that allows me to deliver messages that help people change for the better. So uh, I'd like to do even more of that. So yeah, books and that, more travel, more adventure, more time with my dogs, more time with other people's dogs. I just, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm hoping to make the best of every day. Plus I'm learning guitar. I started about four months ago. I'm still mediocre at it, but I love the process of going from bad to good. So yeah, guitar. So I get, to, I always ask a few rapid fire questions at the end. And at the end, I want, uh, I want you to be able to talk about how people can get your book sure. and go to your website and get a hold of you. You have such an amazing story. I, I can probably do 10 hours with you. <laughs> so here, here. Okay. So um, what are your guilty pleasures food wise? I guess one of them is chocolate, but. Oh, uh, chocolate what, uh, and French fries. Oh, okay. okay. And I think your French okay. fries, what kind of French fries do you like? Salty French fries. I do like McDonald's French fries. Uh, favorite workout music? 
Oh, uh, rap, rap. Ludacris makes me very happy. I'll listen to lots of upbeat stuff, but Ludacris, Get Back is my one of my favorites. Uh, go to film. Go to film. Uh, uh, uh you broke up for a minute. What, what was the last part? Uh, Marvel. Endgame and Infinity Wars are some of the best. I, I, I love those too. I can never get enough of Marvel. Um, what's your favorite place in the world to visit? This is going to probably be, it's probably, you probably have multiple ones because you've been around the world. So Ireland, green and gorgeous. And the people are so fun. So Ireland. And what do you want to be remembered for? Fitz, when you're no longer on this earth, what do you want to be remembered for? Uh, my entire mission is to help people live better and longer. So I hope people say, boy, she helped me live better and <laughs> live longer. That's that's the goal. Yeah, well, you've, you've been such an amazing guest today. Um, you know, you do so much um, pro bono work and including today with me. And I appreciate you because you don't need to do this. You 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 have such great energy and I'm so grateful to have you on. You inspire me. You're going to inspire my listeners. I just want to say thank you so much for being here. Um, can you please give us all the wonderful ways that people can read your books and get a hold of you? And there's a million different ways. So I want you to go ahead and, and give it those if you could. Well, thank you, Martin. Thank you. And I, I certainly appreciate your service. Your service is uh, very special and appreciated. Um, so fitness.com is my home for everything. That's F-I-T-Z as in zebra, N-E-S-S. My books are available everywhere. However, I prefer it. If you shop at fitness.com, I sign 100% of those books and I send it out in pretty packages so my readers feel loved. And I'm also at fitness on Instagram and YouTube and what Facebook and wherever. And I host the fitness show, which is my podcast. So if you want to hear me go blah, 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 even more. Um, <laughs> you can follow my podcast, listen to Martin's first. And then when you're done with it, it comes straight to mine. But Martin, this has been an absolute blast. You're adorable. And again, thank you so much for your service. Yeah. And let me tell you, they can listen to yours first. That's not a problem with me. I mean, you know, honest to goodness, you have such a great spirit and you're such a good person and you're making such a, an amazing impact on the world that, you know, it's just, um, I don't know. I just feel really honored to have you on. I'm going to have you on again. I hope, I hope I don't, I'm going to guilt you into coming on one more time with me, but I just really think that you're an amazing person. Um, and that, you know, I think that, um, the world is better, is a better place because of people like you fit. So, um, thank you for doing what you do for the community. Please thank the, uh, the love of your life that you told me. Thank you for his service and what he does yeah. for us as well. And, um, and you know what, your kids are lucky. They have such a great mom. So thank you. Thank you, yeah. Martin. You're the best. And I really appreciate you until next time. Well, until our next amazing guest, I don't know. It's difficult when you have someone like Fitz on. So, but until our next amazing guest, take care and thank you so much and see you soon. Take care.